Good morning, everybody. Really glad you're here. I hope you all have power. You have power at your house? Oh, it's good. So, my name is Justin, and I usually am helping or overseeing and helping a group, a team that's in the back with the children's ministry. A great team back there. So, I'm usually back there. I don't get to be out here very much, but that's okay. I'm fine with that. I like kids. But I'm excited because I get to share with you today. And Rich and Paula are in uh, Florida enjoying a nice vacation, so we're, we're happy for them. Um, so, so you're with me today, and you had an extra hour of sleep, right? Let's hope so. See, I got in trouble because I forgot to set the clocks back in the kids' room. So they were up at, one of them told me, 4.30. So I kind of got in trouble for that. So, and that ties into our lesson today. So it'll be interesting. So, so I'm doing announcements as well. So Operation Christmas Child is coming up. The deadline is November 19th. So you can see uh, some examples of boxes. So it's a shoe box. You fill it up, bring it in, drop it off on the back table. The due date's November 19th. Uh, men's breakfast got pushed back to... November 11th, that's next week at 8.30 a.m. here. So any men, you want to come and join us for a great breakfast and time of fellowship. Tommy will be teaching, and he always does a good job. Uh, family prayer, November 18th, 10 a.m. here. Um, so those are some of the things coming up. So last week, Rich talked about, he, he, he really set me up. He talked about living it and teaching it. So this week I've been really trying to live the message that I'm teaching. Uh, but so, and Rich always says, when you're go we're going to give a topic, we're going to teach. Teach something that's been on your heart, something that God's been working on. And so I'm going to talk about something that I've been dwelling on lately and I hope is an encouragement to you. Uh, so let's start. I want to play a game. Do you remember the Highlights magazines, Find the Differences? Okay, so we're going to try that. Find the differences. Okay, so we, in, I'm a teacher, so in education we call it compare and contrast. In Highlights Magazine we call it uh, find the differences. Okay, so you can shout them out. What do you see? One horse and two One's wild, one's tame. Good. What else? There are soldiers in one. Okay, yeah. There's a queen in one. What's a queen represent? Royalty. Okay. Yeah. Freedom. You see freedom, a wild horse, a lot of freedom, and then you see some restraint. Yeah, good. One's white, brown. Okay, so the color, yeah. Okay, would you say that one is broken and one is unbroken? Which one? Which one? <laughs> Which one do you, would you want to ride? Oops. Would you want to ride the one that's unbroken? No. Okay. All right. Let's. One of the the unbroken horse is unpredictable, and in our culture, we might say, you know, a, st a wild stallion. You know, that's something, you know, exciting, cool. You know, maybe even manly, right? But you wouldn't want to ride that horse, and certainly wouldn't want it pulling the queen's carriage. How about, how about another one? Here we go. Find the differences. 
Troublemaker. Troublemaker. <laughs> Disobedient. And disciplined. Okay. Which dog would you want to take to war with you, right? The one with the soldier, exactly. As long as the soldier comes with him, all right? That's helpful. So we see in these two examples, the message, the heart of the message today is correction. We're going to talk about receiving correction. So my goal is to encourage you today through the Word of God to be more open to receiving correction because we notice the royal carriage horse, the military canine, they both learn to receive correction and they're both quite useful to their masters. So that's what I want to do and explain the benefits of this that we, have, we can have a greater, a deeper walk with God through receiving His correction. We can become more like Christ, reflect His image more, and have greater impact in our communities, our church, our families, and be used by Him in a bigger way. So correction, if you want this in your life, correction will become a regular part, maybe even a welcomed part of your Christian experience. Okay? Because... God loves you too much to leave you unchanged. He loves you too much, and that's at the heart of his, of his motivation for correction. So let's turn to Hebrews 12, 5 and 6, 5 through 11, and uh, I do, I do want to uh, pray. So dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today, I come to you today, uh, humbly asking for your help and your support and your strength in teaching this message, that the things that are from you, the things from your word would, would penetrate our hearts and really let us leave this place changed. I pray that you would help us to be open, help me to be open uh, to your correction, your loving correction, and your discipline. Uh, Lord, I also lift up, uh, as we always want to pray for the children and the children's ministry, that you would help them to receive your word today, protect them as they grow up in this uh, world that is, is corrupt uh, and that you would guide them with your word. And I also pray for the tithes and offerings. Thank you for this building. Help us to be good stewards. I pray that you multiply the, the, the sacrifice that people have made to give to you, that you would use those funds uh, for your kingdom. We also pray for the uh, ministry, uh, the Teens for Christ, and, uh, or the challenge in Providence. We do pray for the, the women there. We just thank you, Lord, that there's a ministry that people can go for healing, for correction, for discipline, so that you can use people's lives and, and, and use them in a mighty way in their homes and families and bring about healing and redemption. So we thank you for that ministry and pray that you bless it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so you might have the NIV. I have the New King James. So it's going to be a little different. You're going to see the word discipline. Uh, the version I have is going to say chastisement. And we'll talk about what the, the, the root words of those, uh, those meanings. But, um, so just follow with me. 12, verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. <clears throat> My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? 
But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not more readily, much more readily, be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Okay. So let's talk about that word chastening. Now if you look that up in the Webster's Dictionary, you'll see that it has a couple different meanings. It can mean to correct by punishment, even suffering, which is where the NIV comes, uh, we have the word discipline. It could also mean to purify, to prune. So if, let's say a, a, a plant, you might prune the plant of excess of anything dead. Uh, in art, it might be to refine the style or cut out any pretense or falsity. It also can mean to be restrained or to subdue. Now, like I said, NIV used discipline, so that's where we get that word. Now, the Greek, if you go back to the original Greek, the word is padaya. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar, but Blue Letter Bible is a great place to go, and you can find all this stuff out yourself, so it's really great. But it deals with education, with training, instruction, and nurture. Now, this passage comes from the parallel passage in Proverbs chapter 3. The word that is used there is correction. And the Hebrew can be translated into reprove or rebuke. So reprove is kind of like a correction, usually gently. And then rebuke is more like a check, being checked, okay, being stopped, held back, or restrained. <coughs> Now, whatever way you look at it and want to define it, one thing that's certain is it's not really enjoyable at the time, as, as Hebrews said. It's not fun for the moment. And in your Christian experience, like mine, you have, may have encountered situations where you say, Why, Lord? Why? Why, when I go into the office closet to take out materials without asking, because you're not supposed to do that, the boss walks in? Why me? Why does it happen to me? Why speed one time on School Street and I get pulled over? Why? How come everyone at work, they swear around me, they do all these things, right? And one time I say something off color and someone throws it in my face, right? You ever experienced that? Why does it seem like everyone around me is getting away with evil and I do one thing wrong and I get corrected? It's not fair. It's not fair. Well, the reason is, God loves you too much to leave you the same. So we see love, as it says here in the verses here, love is a motivation for God's correction. And we see earthly parenting as a comparison. So how many of you let your children run amok? No, most of us, if, if we sincerely love them, we're going to correct them. We're going to stop them from harming themselves. If you're concerned about their character their growth, the same with God. It indeed shows you that those kids are yours. It's, they're, they're, it's legit, your correction is legitima, legitimizing 
that they're part of your family. And so we see that comparison. Now, if you're not part of God's family, the answer is simple. Jesus did all the work for you. All you need to do is receive him. Ask him into your heart for forgiveness. So the invitation is open to become a child of God. And as you do that, you'll, you know, God will lovingly lead you and correct you at times. Now, some of us, I have to admit, right, we've had poor experiences with our earthly fathers. And that's true sometimes, and that's sad. And it says here that in verse 10, they disciplined us, our earthly fathers disciplined us as seemed best to them at the time. You know, I don't always make the right call, and as parents, you've experienced this. Sometimes that happens. I correct because I'm annoyed sometimes. I'm trying to eat at the table, and they're talking with their mouth full and spitting food all the Stop, you know, don't do that. Because I'm annoyed. And sometimes I might correct out of anger, right? It just bothers me. But Jeremiah 30, chapter 11, you know, contrasts my parenting with the Lord. It says, For I am with you, says the Lord, to save you, though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you. Yet I will not make a complete end of you, but I will correct you in justice. So the Lord always does it right. He always does it with justice, with fairness. So we see that God loves you too much to leave you and me the same. It's for our profit, as it says here, for our holiness. So we have a choice. Did you catch the choice? In the beginning says, my son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. So we really have a choice when we're corrected or we're disciplined. Okay, I can receive it or I can despise it. So it's easy to receive good news, words of encouragement, a smile, applause, an award. That's easy to walk up to receive an award, a glowing evaluation at work. To receive a raise. How about the keys to your dad's car? Here you go, son. Well done, right? That's easy. It's hard to receive correction, discipline, a timeout. Okay, that's hard. Why do we fight against it? Rebels, right? Our flesh, ourselves. We don't like being told what to do. Okay, so on Friday, I'm a teacher. If anyone who teaches, some of the teachers in here, you know, Friday is a great day to have off, right? <laughs> you have a three-day weekend to get off on Friday. Now, I have no room to complain. I had off Monday and Tuesday because schools did not have power in Warwick, so I got to stay home. So I'm not complaining. However, I was complaining. So on Friday, I was supposed to go to a workshop and get a free lunch. And I wouldn't have to be with kids all day. And it was going to be great. It was going to be fun, right? Thursday night, I get the call or the email saying, sorry, it's been canceled, you can't go, so you have to go back to school. And I didn't have much, many plans ready, so I was kind of caught off guard. And so in my heart, you know, I'm, you know, I don't like that. I don't like being told that I can't do something. That's not fun. Even as an adult, we do that. So maybe we don't like it. It's our flesh, our pride. Someone points out a flaw. How many of us... You know, really take that and, and think about it and receive it. No, we, we want to make excuses. That's the first thing we do. Or we want to point out the flaws of those around us so that we don't look so bad. Right? And we might say, woe is me. Everyone's always picking on me. I can't do anything right. Right? 
So verse 11, it says, No chastening or discipline seems joyful for the present, but it's painful. So you might say, wait a minute, I came here to get some encouragement from the, from the Word. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to receive pain. I don't want to be corrected. But look at verse 11. Afterwards, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. So I hope you came here to grow. And this is one of the ways that you can grow. And I have here written... Your ability to receive correction with the appropriate attitude will determine your level of success as a Christian, as an employee, a family member, and if you're, you're here today, a student. So again, your ability to receive correction with the appropriate attitude will determine your level of success as a Christian, an employee, family member, student, okay, or military canine. So I face this, and you might face this every day as a parent. I'm in the business of correction. I'm a teacher and a parent. And children often get frustrated with me, so I see this a lot, right? Stay in line. Wash your hands. Capitalize, capitalize, capitalize. You know, regroup before subtracting. You can't take the bigger number from the smaller number, right? So I correct. You're laughing, right? You know, right? Teachers, they're annoying. They're always correcting us. I can't do anything right. But why do I do it as a teacher? Why do you do it as a parent? Why do you do it? Because you're wise. You see down the road. If the student does not become educated, it's going to lead to maybe not being successful in life. If they don't have good manners, they might get themselves in trouble or be in a situation where no one wants to hire them just because they're rude and, and you know, off color and tell nasty jokes and no one wants to be around them. Why do you do it as a parent? You, for their safety, their protection. Okay? Our wise teacher, Jesus, loves us too much to leave us in this state. He wants us to grow. So are you able to receive, to welcome, and have a good attitude towards correction? It's hard, right? But we receive it with joy, knowing the future outcome. We might even be thankful for God's correction. Again, it's a sign that he loves us. So, like I said, I deal with this every day. So I have a, a little story. It's a tale of two third graders. So, I've, so my job in school is a math interventionist. It's a very fancy word. It means that I give support to students who are struggling in math. They come into my room in small groups. So one of my groups, uh, last year I had them, and I have them again this year, uh, is uh, just two students. And the contrast between their attitudes and behavior is, is night and day. It's exactly what I'm talking about. One of them comes into the room. We were just working on, uh, last week, just addition facts, because they're really struggling. So we're I'm teaching them strategies. They're making their own fact cards. So one of the students is laying all over the table. He's um, just complaining, just, just really just being difficult. And it's, it's really painful as a teacher to try to help this, you know, this child to be interested, to be motivated. You know, you're trying to coach them. You're trying to teach them, encourage them. Meanwhile, the other one, writing down all her facts, you know, doing all her stuff, just such a, a pleasant student. And what's interesting is I had him last year, and you could see the scores of the first boy I was just telling you about just tank. And you could see the second girl 
her scores went really up. They both kind of started around the same place. And you can see the effect of one receiving instruction, correction, being open to it, being willing to accept it, and the other one who just he didn't want to be there. And, and you can see that's going to lead to trouble, to problems in the future. And it's very sad. Um, so pray for me. <laughs> Got to reach him, right? So how does God do this? How does God correct us? And I like the analogy of it's like a road, right? You're driving along the road. You start to drift a little bit. What happens on certain highways? Yeah, the, what do you call them? Chatter strips, rumble strips, right? It's a go 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 Oh, i got to straighten out, right? And if you don't listen to the rumble strips, you keep going, what are you going to hit? Hopefully, guardrail. Start scraping the guardrail. More damage, right? It's a, a more abrupt correction. And if you don't listen to that, you might go over into the ditch and have someone have to pull you out. Um, so sometimes it's that progression, right? Sometimes it's all these things kind of happen... Um, simultaneously. But I, the first way that God corrects us primarily is through His Word. And it's a good argument for why we should be in His Word, reading His Word. As, as the uh, song we sang, it's a light unto our path. It shows us the way we should go. So the Word of God is first. Then we might receive counsel or rebuke from others, maybe a spouse, maybe a friend. Hopefully your friends are in the business of telling you the truth. Maybe a pastor, maybe a coach, so people in our lives, maybe a boss. And then we might, if we don't listen to those things, maybe receive some divine discipline or the circumstances in our lives. So First Timothy, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Okay, so, so scripture, we get our, those are like the rumble strips. All right, so we all have blind spots. You know what a blind spot is? Okay, so in, in, uh, in football, it's the side, right, the left side of the quarterback's right-handed is, you know, to their back. So there's a movie, right, called Blind Side, and that's where, you know, you get hit, you're not aware it's coming, and it's very dangerous, your blind spot is very, very dangerous. And so we have these blind spots in our lives, area of behavior or character, flaws or weaknesses that are evident to perhaps everybody else, but not us. And so this is how God, maybe it's God uses his word. So maybe it's a pattern of gossip. You just have a difficult time. Every time you get around those people at the lunchroom, you just start bashing somebody else. Maybe it's you're easily angered. Maybe it's you fall into despair very easily, fear, doubt. Maybe it's bad manners. So you open up your Bible in the morning with your coffee, and you're there, and you're reading, and suddenly you read something, and God uses His Word to convict your, your spirit, your heart. And what should our response be? Our first response should be confession, right? We should, wow, and God does this, right? And if, you're, if you've been walking with the Lord, you understand this. This happens in your quiet time. As you're reading, maybe a preacher preaches something. Maybe you hear something on, on the radio, and it just convicts you. God in his spirit, by his still small voice, speaks to your heart. Now, I can't fix myself. I can't pull myself up by the bootstraps. I can't just force myself to do these things. 
it's, but it's an, an admission. I admit it. I confess it to him. And I ask him to help me, to give me the grace, to forgive me. And this is that, that humble spirit, this humble attitude. So you hit the rumble strips. Go, 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 go. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to listen. I'm going to obey. I'm going to be correctable, teachable. So let's say, you, this is the importance of quiet time, right? We should all have this time we set aside. Maybe, it's, maybe you're not a morning person. Maybe it's at night. Maybe it's at lunchtime. You know, this time to get in the Word of God, to allow Him to speak to us, encourage us, and at times correct us. Okay? I'd like to, I like to call this like a fatherly nudge. Okay? And I love this psalm. I love this psalm. Psalm 32, 8 through 9. It talks about, you know, God's dealing with Israel, how he instructs Israel. He uses this as an, just an example. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. Okay, so God's a loving Father. He doesn't want to have to get, you know, harsh with us. He wants us to, you know, listen, to lead us with, by His eye. So to be guided with His eye means you have to have some understanding. You have to be willing to listen to that, to be easily correctable. Uh, Jesus, in another way, said, He who has ears, let him hear. You know, listen. So what other ways does God try to correct us? So if we don't listen... Maybe it's through others. So let's get real, right? I'm married. Some of you are married. Some of you have very close friends. So I notice in my life, my spouse or my wife is somebody who God uses to help me out. And the scripture here is, you know, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of the enemy are deceitful. So you might go to the workplace and some girl there, well, as a guy, you know, some girl, oh, you're so strong, you, t- you know, can you do that? Oh, you're so smart, and, you know, you get all this, you get flattered by these other people, right? But your wife is the one who's going to, you know, take out the trash, or you smell bad, put on deodorant. You know, your shirt looks funny, you know, do it. You know, so your wife is somebody, or your husband is somebody, they're going to tell you the truth, hopefully, right? And sometimes we don't receive that, it's, it's painful, and we might fight back. But my wife can see all of my blind spots. And I can see all of hers. And if you're gentle and kind to each other, this can be a great help to you. And I'll give you an example. And this is kind of a light example. There are certainly deeper things that I'm not going to share with you. But um, this is kind of a lighthearted one. So my personality, uh, a blind spot I have is I'm, I'm kind of a perfectionist. It's never enough. And I, and I have lots of projects and to-do lists. Okay? So my garden you know, things, hobbies that I might have. And I get really obsessive, and they got to be right. And if you've seen my garden, Zeke, you know, it's got to be right. It's got to, he's laughing. He helped me the other day. He knows. <laughs> Gabe. So I have these boys over, they help me sometimes. They know, they're like, oh, gosh, just leave it alone. <laughs> and I've prayed for deliverance in my life over this because it, sometimes it gets me in trouble. And God, you know, uses my wife to remind me. So she calls me the starer. And when I hear her say, hey, starer, I know what she's talking about. I'll stand on the deck and I'll just stare and just like think about the garden. How can I make it better? And do the, 
And she, hey, stare. And so it's kind of like a gentle, funny rebuke. But it does help me. It helps me to keep what's important, important. Keep the main thing, the main thing. My to-do list, all that stuff is going to be there when I'm dead. My kids won't be there. My wife won't always necessarily be there. Um, you know, these things happen. Life changes, right? Keep the main thing, the main thing. And it's just a reminder that people matter more than stuff or things or jobs or tasks, right? So it's a gentle rebuke. And so God might use her in that way. Maybe it's anger or pride or rudeness with guests or something I said that's off color that my wife is like, yeah, that's not, you know. And I can defend myself. So what well, was funny, you know, and do those things. But if I'm willing to receive, God uses that to keep me straight. So I hit the rumble strip. Go, 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 go. Don't listen to that. Hit the guardrail. Start scraping that. Someone says something to me. Um, maybe that guardrail is my boss at work. Um, maybe it's a coach, a pastor, or a teacher. So God uses these authorities in our lives for practical and spiritual growth. So I'm convinced that one of the main reasons I have a job in the world, you know, teaching job, is so that I can deny my flesh. You got to get up, you got to go to work, you got a boss over you. If I didn't have that boss or that accountability, I'd probably be a flake. So for me, if you know, you got to show up on time when you're teaching kids. Right? Students, you can't be late. So I used to have a really, really, really hard time with showing up on time. When I did an internship at a church, the pastor there that I was under gave me an evaluation that said, you know, that was like my worst, the worst thing was like I never showed up on time. And it was very annoying to people I worked with. So, you know, I'm convinced that God has put me in these places to teach me, to correct me. And it's good. It's healthy. So... A little story about this, my first teacher evaluation when I got out of college. You know, in college, you're paying for it, right? So everybody's going to tell you how awesome you are because they want you to keep going, keep paying, right? So it's, it's just kind of, they have, you know, they tell you, but, you know, I did really well, and I got lots of good, you know, good compliments. I thought I was something. So I get into my first school, my first position, so I start teaching. The, you know, I sit down with the principal. I'd spent hours studying, you know, just trying to do this really dog and pony show lesson, you know. And the principal, very wise, had seen it all before. It's all, it was all right. I was devastated. I was crushed because I wanted him to say, you know, that was fantastic. You know, you're doing awesome. Everything you do is great. No, it was really humbling. And, and I had to, you know, it was, a, it was a struggle. But, you know, if it helped me to see, you know, don't do things just as a show for other people. Do it for the kids because you believe in what you're doing and you think it's the right thing to do and to teach, not to show some fancy lesson just to impress somebody. So it was a good lesson. But that happened, you know, in, in my work, in my life. How about a pastor? Now, you, you may or may not know this, but, um, you know, Pastor Rich, I'm uh, his son-in-law. Now, I grew up in a family that... It's not that they didn't like love. They love me. They corrected me, but I was kind of allowed to do whatever I wanted. Now, when I got saved, that was okay. But I was at church all the time, so I got saved in um, as a junior in high school, and so. But I kind of did what I wanted. I didn't really listen to them very much. So then, when I married the pastor's daughter, it was a little different, right? There was standards on your life, and all you people look at my life as it's under a microscope. 
and my kids. No, it's just the reality, right? When, when you're in a position of leadership or you're in, a fa- in the family of someone who's in ministry, that's just something I wasn't used to. And there were times throughout the engagement process, Jim, you know, you were here, right? Um, you were here, you're shaking your head too, Jay, uh-oh. <laughs> so I was kind of, I was a rough, it was rough. There were times where it was rough. And what's interesting is over the years, Rich has become one of my best friends. And in the beginning, I did not want anything to do with him. <laughs> and the Bible says that he who is friends with the wise will become wise. And I hope, and I hope that I've you know, become, more, become more wise than I was, and I, and I hope that's true. But over the years, what's interesting is I've found myself agreeing more with him than my 20-year-old self. You see, and that's because wisdom and growth and those things. And now that I have kids, Four daughters, I totally understand. It all makes sense. <laughs> totally makes sense. So, so there's a, the pastor, and I have the privilege of being very close to, to my pastor, and it's, and, it's, and it's not always easy, you know? Sometimes you disagree, but um, for the most part, it's been very, very, very helpful in my life. Uh, maybe a coach. I got my friend Gary here today, right? You know, Mr. Chia, Coach Chia. Your coach tells you something. Why does he tell you? He, he corrects you over and over because you might be doing something wrong, doing the skill wrong, and they want to teach you correctly. So they, they might yell at you. They might make you do more push-ups, right, when you show up late. So, so yeah, teachers and coaches, it doesn't always feel good because it's a list of don'ts at times. Um, and even at times, I'll go as far as even to say my children sometimes correct me. And I'll explain what I mean. Um, do you find it difficult to take correction from people who are at a lower skill level than you? Sometimes. Someone brings something up and you're like, you don't really understand. You're just a young kid. You know, your skills aren't on par with mine. So you don't have room to talk. And this is true of my children. But a humble person is able to look and compare themselves to the standard rather than the other person, okay? So when a child corrects my potty mouth, right, for saying something off color or whatever, Dad, what are, you know, it's easy to say, I don't have to listen to you, you're three feet tall. (laughs) You know, go to bed. That's easy to do. But if I realize my goal is to become more like Christ, then I can say, you know what, you're right. That wasn't appropriate, I'm sorry. And if you're able to stomach that, you're really going to grow. You're going to be somebody that is open to receive correction, and you're going to grow. And not only that, what an example to your child of how to receive your correction. Because trust me, if you, if you don't listen to that, they're, they're going to be less likely to listen to you next time. And I've seen this you know, happen in my, own, in my own family. How about friends? Friends. I hope that you have friends that are willing to tell you when your fly is down or when you have a bat in the cave or when you have a little B.O., right? The friends that tell you the truth. They tell you the truth, even when it hurts or is embarrassing. Right? Iron sharpens iron. Now, spiritually, right, we know that if you're, you know, you're having friends and you, you sit down over coffee and your friends, hey, you know, there's something I've been meaning to talk to you about. I've been praying about this, and I just really feel that how you talk to your wife is just, I think you need to get that, get that together. You know? and, and if you have that deep relationship and that friendship, that's going to fly, and you're going to receive it, and it's, and it's going to be good for you. 
Now, I would do that in prayer, but it's a, rebu a, a rebuke. Ecclesiastes 7.5 says, It is better to hear the rebuke of the wise than for a man to hear the song of fools. Now, there was a time in my life when I surrounded myself with friends that I thought supported me. You know, they, didn't, they just accepted me for who I was. It's just me. And we spent time in places we shouldn't have been. But those people didn't help me grow. It was the song of fools. But if you can surround yourself and seek counsel from those who are wise, and who tell you the truth, this will be a tremendous asset to your Christian walk. So, what happens? You don't, you, God speaks to you in his word, hit the rumble strip, duh, 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 duh. and you go outside of that, someone else, your boss, you know, tells you, hey, you're, you know, you, you've been showing up late, you need to get here on time. Maybe your spouse confronts you, you start scraping the guardrail, you know, you don't listen to that. You're, you're bent on doing this your way. Then what? Remember, God loves you too much to let you go. And he's not okay with allowing you to stay the same because he loves you, as we read. Maybe he allows your sin to find you out. So something, you know, we've seen this, right, in different ways in the news and churches, maybe. Your sin finds you out. Some scandal, something is blown up. Um, perhaps it's a stripping away of privileges. Dad says, give me those keys back, right? You, you, you can't have them anymore. Maybe you lose a job because you just continue this pattern and you're not listening. So then you're fired. And this happened to the Israelites, right? Many times. They wandered through the wilderness for 40 years for their discipline. And it happened later in Jeremiah 35. Uh, so I've been working through Jeremiah in my quiet time. And I'm in, you know, it's just Jeremiah, they call him the weeping prophet. He's just constantly sharing with the Israelites and they don't listen to anything he's saying. They say, Jeremiah, tell us the word of the Lord. And he's like, all right, you guys need to listen or Babylon's coming, they're going to take over the city, it's going to be horrible. And they're like, be quiet, Jeremiah, you don't know what you're talking about. And they get this other prophet who tells them what they want to hear. And this process goes on, and they throw him in prison, they throw him in, the, in like a pit, and he sinks down in the mire. And, you know, what happened? What did happen? Ba ba Babylon came and took them into captivity, and it was the Lord's discipline. Now, I just want to read this part because I think it's, it really captures God's heart. that he, That's not his first option. He doesn't just you know, come along and besiege the city with Babylon. No, he, all along the way, he was trying to get their attention. They weren't listening. So he says in Jeremiah 35, But although I have spoken to you, rising early and speaking, you did not obey me. I have also sent to you all my servants, the prophets, rising up early and sending them, saying, Turn now, everyone, from his evil way. Amend your doings, and do not go after other gods to serve them. Then you will dwell in the land which I have given you and your fathers. But you have not inclined your ear nor obeyed me. Surely the sons of John, Jonadab, the son of Rechab, have performed... Uh, and it goes on, let me skip that. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of hosts, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring on Judah... And all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, all the doom that I have pronounced against them, because I have spoken to them, but they have not heard, and I have called to them, but they have not answered. So it's kind of like that bridal. They, they didn't listen. They weren't willing to be guided by God's eye. He brought divine discipline. And this happened to me. See, my early 20s were rough. 
Do you guys have a rough time in your early 20s? I don't know. I did. Um, I don't think it had to be that way, and I hope some of you young people don't go that way. But I was radically saved at age 17 in high school I, from substance abuse, depression, all those things. I started carrying around my Bible in high school. People thought I was nuts. My parents thought I was in a cult. You know, everyone in their locker in high school, they got posted on their girls and hot rods and stuff like that. So I had like verses on my locker. I was just nuts. I was very quiet and shy. And so then when Jesus got a hold of my life and became real to me, I was a maniac going around telling people about the Lord. I was at church all the time. So I really thought I was something. I went to Bible college, did really well. I had a, had a lot of responsibility as a young person in the church. So I thought I was going to be like the next Billy Graham or something. So, you know, this went on. And I, I did an internship at a church, and it was going really well. And then some things happened. You know, I got, I got the short end of the stick. I got a raw deal, you know. It, you know, all these things, you know. I, so I left this church due to differences with leaders. You maybe have been there before. Um, what I thought was an issue with others was really a blind spot. Some things in my heart and my life that, you know, I just was unable to receive from others. Whatever, you could go back and say, you know, my dad was a little harsh on me, so I, anybody in my life who told me to, to, what to do, it just, I rejected it. Because my dad was, you know, you know, he psychoanalyzed all these things. We'd go back and do all this stuff. Maybe that was true, you know, maybe. But God was trying to work on my heart, and he put people in my life for, you know, God's discipline, God's, you know, to keep me on the right path. But I didn't listen. So I left a series of churches. That ch churches are filled with hypocrites. I don't want anything to do with it. I want my friends who just love me the way I am. But they weren't really true friends because they didn't tell me the truth. I was on a path of destruction as a Christian, as a believer. I believed that I was saved, but living in darkness. So I moved in with a part, an apartment with some friends, was living in there, just doing whatever. You know, I say I fell into sin, but really I chose to, you know, through substances, through um, just those things, just chose to live in darkness. And things kind of got worse and worse and worse. And I, I believe God was in his divine discipline sort of coming after me, I felt. And this one night, things all just kind of went crazy. I got beat up by my friends in my own apartment and it was like Christmas Eve or something like that. It was insane. So I forsook the fellowship of the saints, and I followed my own ways. And this led to, you know, I got beat up. God, I feel, I didn't press charges. I really felt this whole time that God still was after me, and I knew it. But finally, he just humbled me, and he showed me, look, if I let my hand off of you, if I back away and let you to your own self, this is the darkness, this is, what, this is what's out there. And it freaked me out. I got really scared. And I repented. I moved back in with my parents, which was very difficult. Because I thought, remember, I thought I was going to be somebody. Great. Billy Graham. So no one else knew it, but I was going to be someone great. Um, and I am great in the sense that he loves me. I'm great because he, he, he loves me and he followed me and I'm not great in myself or the things I do it's you're you're great because God gives you value that's why you're great I kind of had another kind of great going on 
So God allowed this chastisement, and I recognized it was God's discipline. And I, so I moved back home. So I did not listen to the rumble strip, go, 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 hit the guardrail, <laughs> churches, you know, people, just right over into the ditch. But God allowed it to happen. So I got set back up in my parents' house, started going to church. It was really humbling. Um, I was hanging and finishing drywall at the time, just like a regular job, which I used to look down on, but I really see that as, you know, it just, it was great. The Bible says, do your best to live a quiet life and, you know, and worship Him. And so it was, God just brought a lot of peace and rest and, and it was a safe place. And, you know, time, as time went on, you know, I got connected here at Calvary and Nicola, who I knew at Bible College, you know, we got back together. And in the beginning, it was like Rich didn't want anything to do with that. And, but, but God worked. He worked, he worked in, our, in our lives and in our engagement process. He worked in the church here. God put me in a safe place, put me under an umbrella of his authority and correction. And once I was willing to receive that and accept that, God has done a work. He, like now I have, I'm not Billy Graham, but I get to work with children. I get to teach them the Bible. I get to do the Festival of Hope. We get to do the Harvest Party. I get to raise a family and be around you guys. So that's just a picture of, hey, God had to give me a divine spanking, I'll, I'll say, to get me where I needed to go. I didn't need a self-esteem boost. I needed repentance. And I hope that for especially young people, you don't need that in your life, but if you do, God will bring that. And I hope that you receive that because I believe God spared me from death. If I would have kept going, it, I could have died. I could have, you know, I'm, it's amazing that I'm here even today because I forsook God. I walked away from Him. So what are the benefits to receiving God's correction? So we see in these verses a couple benefits. Verse 10, Hebrews 12, verse 10, is holiness. When God corrects us, it, it makes us holy. It makes us more like Him. It's painful. But if we can receive it, it makes us more holy. Now, if you're a Christian, you're a believer, and God's worked in your, in your heart, I think that's true of all of us. We, we really have a goal. We want to be more like Christ. We want to be holy. And, and, you know, that doesn't happen by accident. You're not going to become an Olympic athlete by accident. You, you need to go through this training process. And it hurts. And it's painful. But you're looking for, the, for the, the result, the outcome, the future. And that future for us as Christians is that holiness. So that's, that's a, a benefit. We also see in verse 11 the peaceable fruits of righteousness. So fruits of righteousness in your life. So peace. I, I really noticed in my life when I was doing whatever I wanted, I actually did not have joy or peace. So and that's the deception that Satan brings. If you do this, you know, you're going to be free to do whatever you want. It's going to be great. You're going to just be so free and, and just have a good time. But it was really an entanglement with sin and all those things. It really was not good for me really was not good. So I have a lot more peace in submitting to God. The third thing is um, fellowship. We're going to have a deeper fellowship with God. Now, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 3. 
Now, at the start of Revelation, you know, Jesus gives a message to his churches. And if you read through that list, there's actually a lot of things the churches were doing wrong. Some things they were doing right, but Jesus was bringing some strong words against the churches that they needed to get it right. They needed to repent, turn in different ways. Each had a different blind spot. And it's kind of like us and maybe our church. Maybe you, know, maybe you have different blind spots than your neighbor. And, 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 and so God will have a special message for you how to correct that. But what I like is at the end of the chapter, so Revelation 3, verse 19, he says, and this is Jesus talking, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So he stands at the door and knocks. He's knocking. And if we open and we receive that message, hey, you need to get these things right. Okay, Lord, I agree. I'm sorry. Maybe I need to apologize to somebody else. Maybe I need his grace to help me. I need to admit it, receive him, invite him in. He comes in, he sets things right. He might want to move the furniture around. And that's got to be okay. Because he's going to make it better than you could have ever imagined if you let him in. If you've never done that, you can do that today. Let him in. Let him you know, start that process. He's a loving father. He wants to guide you. But he has to be invited. He's a gentleman. He's not going to break down the wall. However, once you are a believer, once you know, and I feel like that's where I was that in that place, like I knew, but I wasn't listening. And as parents, we, you know, we understand this. We might have to use um, harsher discipline to, you know, especially when it came to, I know with my kids, safety. If I say stop and you're running out in the road, that's a problem because I love them. I'm going to stop them. So Jesus is knocking. So at the heart of this kind of correction is an attitude of repentance. Are you willing to repent? 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we all have sin. We all have this problem in our nature. So you're going to be corrected. I'm just telling you. You know, and, and hopefully it's through God's word, through that gentle guiding with God's eye. And the final thing, that God gives us grace. James 4, 6 says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you're able to admit your mistake, be correctable, God will give you grace. And I've heard it said that that word resist is like a war stance, like a, like a really serious, like God resists. He, if you're proud, you're not going to fight and get very far with God if you're proud. But if, you're great, if, you, if you humble yourself, he'll, he'll give you that grace to overcome. So, God loves you too much to leave you the same. Let's pray. 
Lord, first of all, I want to pray for anyone here who does not enjoy that fellowship with you at your table. Uh, if there's anybody here, you can simply ask, uh, Jesus, come into my heart. I want to start this relationship with you because you're a loving father, a loving shepherd. And God, you are a good shepherd, and we call you Papa. And we receive all of your gifts and your blessings, and we're so thankful for them. But Lord, we also recognize uh, we, need, we need to be teachable, uh, and we need your loving hand of correction. So I pray right now by your Holy Spirit that you would reveal to each of us in our own way what are those areas, what are those blind spots that, that we might need some correction. And I pray we would be open to receive from our spouses, our coaches, parents, uh, those around us, leaders, uh, even, even those who are lower than us in status in some ways that we would be able to receive and, from them. And Lord, I also want to lift up our country. Um, Lord, your word says that if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek you, that you'll hear and that you'll heal. And Lord, our country is going through some tough times, and I just pray, Lord, that you would continue to allow the door of, uh, to be open, to share to have freedom, to preach the word, and to live a quiet life uh, in our faith. And so, Lord, I just pray you continue to keep that door open. I pray for healing for people who have been affected by uh, loss, uh, by tragedy, by terrorism. Uh, Lord, this is it's a tough time, um, and we need you, God. Our country needs you. We need you. Our church needs you. So we just pray for your help, Lord. And we recognize that you resist the proud. And we're saying here today, we acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our desperate need for you. So we pray you'd work in our hearts. So we are your sons and your daughters of privilege, but also responsibility. Lord, help us to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And we thank you that you love us enough to correct us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.